1: Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter page. Take it away, guys.
2: On this edition of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams, we welcome an NCAA Senior Vice President of Basketball, both men's and women's, Dan Gavitt. You might know the Gavitt name. It's the son of the late, great Dave Gavitt, who founded the Big East Conference and was a great basketball visionary, changed the sport of college hoops. So we will talk with Dan about the state of college basketball And you'll be really intrigued to hear about a potential wrinkle in all that transfer talk that we've talked about on the show. What could happen with transfers being immediately eligible? That legislation's on the table at the NCAA. Well, there might be a way to meet coaches and players on a middle ground. But I welcome in my partner, Kim Adams. And Kim, the state of college basketball is this... It's a bit of a waiting game in terms of how their season will look because of fall sports coming first and those sports setting a precedent. But I think we took a lot away from the Dan Gavin interview that I wasn't sure what we would take away in this moment because there's so many moving pieces and parts, but I was really impressed to hear him be candid on these matters. And look, this is still a work in progress. We are in the midst of a pandemic, and with that in mind, The uniformity or the idea of it in the NCAA is something the NCAA realizes. They can't have total uniformity because each state is so different.
0: Yeah, John, we're starting to see some signs of a return. It started with the NBA coming out with a timeline which still isn't set in stone yet, but they have confirmed that they will resume the season at Disney World in July. Sadly, both of our teams are two of the eight teams left out the Cleveland Cavaliers (laughs) and the New York Knicks cheers to, to a better next season. But now the NCAA has been able to start putting out some dates of their own. We saw the NBA draft withdrawal date has now been set. John, that will either be August 3rd or 10 days after the combine. So there is no set date yet for the combine. And, John, just one thing that I immediately think of when I hear that date is this is still tough for college coaches to plan ahead for next season when they don't know if some of their top players are going to be with the program or if they're going to turn pro until August 3rd. That is, that's a lot of yeah. stress on planning.
2: Yeah, here's my take on this situation. The August 3rd deadline for college players to withdraw their name from the draft or stay in the draft, it's meaningful in that we now have a formal date. But in most cases, coaches and players will be setting their own timelines long before that date. I I can gather that from a number of coaches. I mean, Kim, I remember with Tyshawn Alexander, who was one of the earliest to declare for the NBA draft in surprising fashion, by the way. A lot of people thought he'd be back for Creighton. The Blue Jays would be a top-five team with him. Now their status is up in the air. But Greg McDermott told him, I need to know what you're doing by mid to late May because Greg McDermott has a roster to manage. And I think you're going to see that in a lot of cases with coaches and players because the fact is you can't wait until August 3rd to get that transfer that you would really like or to get that late 2020 reclassification that you would really like. So... It's a date, it's a formality that we were waiting for, and so it matters in that we have something formal. But um, I, I, I don't think that the date means a whole lot in retrospect. What I will say is I'm very intrigued to see if we have training camps in early July, do we have the chance in mid to late July to have players hold some virtual workouts or four or five players, five or six players with the same agency Go to one location and hold a workout day in which scouts uh, with teams or organizations can either watch them partake or do some sort of modified, um, not a combine, but a mini combine. I don't think a combine is going to happen. It's, there's just not enough timing and the NBA's got enough stuff on their plate. I do think there's a world that we could see workouts take place and uh, different agencies line those up for players.
0: I think there has to be something, John, because yes. otherwise it's it's not fair to the players who are who are on the brink. You know, you have you have ten, fifteen players who know they're going to be lottery picks. But what about the players who have heard, I might be a late first rounder, I might be an early to mid second rounder. Those are the players that really need the feedback. And I think it would be unfair for them to have to make a decision and again you mentioned they're probably receiving additional pressure from their college coaches saying hey you know that that deadline is august 3rd but we'd really like to know as soon as possible so i do think something needs to be set up by the nba where there could be some sort of evaluation feedback process virtual interviews because for those kids that are kind of middle of the road not sure and with so much uncertainty With the upcoming college season, as we'll hear in a little bit from Dan Gavitt, there's a lot to consider for those type of kids.
2: Well, we want to let you know that when we taped this interview with Dan that we did not know about the August 3rd deadline to withdraw your name from the draft, uh, the August 3rd deadline, or 10 days after a combine, if it were to happen. So this interview was taped uh, last week. At the time, so Dan did not have that. But what can be said is the NBA and the NCAA were in collaboration with this, and the NCAA uh, got that date out, you know, shortly after the NBA announced uh, when the draft would be held. So that certainly was big news. So here he is now, Dan Gavitt. It's great to be joined by NCAA senior vice president of basketball, Dan Gavitt, here on Full Core Press. With Fanta and Adams and Dan, thanks so much for taking the time here. When you think about our world right now, uh, we have emerged from a pandemic and now in in the last week, still with this pandemic very much in our world, uh, the issues of social injustice in our world with protests across the country and the NCAA issuing a statement on Tuesday evening. What is your reaction to everything happening in our world?
1: Well, it's a very uh, upsetting and disturbing time without a doubt um, soul-crushing really in many ways um, yeah, i feel for so many friends and colleagues who um you know who are suffering uh sad mad um, disturbed by the racial inequality and injustice that is ongoing in our country and um, I just hope and pray, you know, for everyone's safety, first of all, but that we use this as a pivot point to make significant and longstanding change, uh, which is long overdue. It's amazing listening to friends um, who are i am in my mid-50s who are my age or older, and some of their reaction is that this is just a problem that's been going on for decades. And you know, there's this level of skepticism that things uh, will or can change, and that's really disheartening to me. Uh, I hope and pray that you know the game of basketball and sports um, can help to bring about long overdue change in our country.
0: And Dan, we've seen in the college basketball world over the last few days a lot of people are speaking up. A lot of people are out there. At the protest, uh, whether it's Seth Towns, whether it's the Texas Tech men's basketball team and coach, um, we've seen a lot of heartfelt statements coming out from coaches, from players. Why is it so important uh, for you to see them doing this, taking action, speaking out?
1: Well, you know, I I think that the most important thing that we can all do right now is is speak our, our minds and our hearts and our souls and listen um to, you know to people's different pers- perspectives and and to help that to form opinion about how we can make a substantive change and i think that really does start with young people um i think one of the beautiful things about college in general and college basketball in particular is that um it's an educational uh experience and and freedom of speech and and ability to speak your mind and protest what you, for what you think is right is is vitally important. And um, I think it's it's contingent upon all of us to bring about that change. But as much as anything, it's this younger generation that that can uh, bring about change and and will hopefully uh, benefit from it as as they grow older. You know, um, so I, I I very much appreciate. Seeing student athletes, coaches, teams uh, involved in, in peaceful and meaningful demonstration for what they know is right. And um, and I think we need to encourage that, frankly. Um, that That is how I think social change has been brought about historically. And I think it's much needed at this time.
2: Dan, let's bring this back to the pandemic and the circumstances Going on in our world right now, schools are beginning the process of allowing student athletes back on campus to start preparing for fall sports. How do you balance wanting to wait and see the rollout of fall sports with the need to move ahead with planning for college basketball?
1: Well, it's a good question, John. Obviously, you know, things do happen in some order in in college athletics, right? We've got fall sports first and fall championships, followed by winter and spring. Um, But this is generally an active time on our campuses where uh, summer school is usually going on on campus. Um, Men's and women's basketball players and football student athletes um, are uh, taking part in voluntary and or in July um team activities and um so trying to responsibly and and gradually get back to some level of reengagement with them is a good thing. Um but it's tricky and and that's why it's been very measured I think um and is being done on a local and regional level, an institutional level because Certain areas of our country obviously um, have uh, different cadence with uh, stay-at-home and, and, and you know, reopening orders from their state and local authorities. Um, but I think the takeaway for me is, in, in talking with so many coaches over the last three months and student-athletes and athletic directors and everyone else, is um, when possible, allowing for student-athletes to come back to campus and and... Get back to some level of working out and studying and having the support of of health professionals and mental health experts and 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 uh, you know strength coaches and the like is a good thing because for three months they've been without that um they've been home they've been where you know where they've needed to be um, but that's a major disruption to what they're used to, and the resources that are available on campuses are like none other, certainly like much greater than most any student or student athlete would have at home uh, or coach for that matter. So starting to, you know, re-engage a little bit, I think is a really positive and and healthy thing, but it needs to be done in a very measured and and responsible and safe way, obviously. In a world where things are
2: at the institutional level because of the different regional situations, what do you think is the key to Keeping uniformity.
1: Well, I'm not sure there is, you know, going to be able to be great uniformity, John. I mean, I I think, I think that uh, we in the business recognize that right away uh, that what is what we're used to in in college athletics, and that is a common start date, you know, a common number of days of preparation for seasons to start and, and practice and the like, is probably highly unachievable at this point if not even over the course of the next academic year and seasons it's it seems to me almost a certainty that you're going to have disruption and interruption of uh, semesters or or seasons for teams and um, we can either you know be paralyzed by that and and or try to achieve probably an unachievable common start and date and 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 season schedule or we can just be accepting of the fact that it is going to be somewhat uneven and unequal and and try to move forward in the best way possible based on local, state, and regional authorities and public health officials' uh, guidelines.
0: And Dan, you talk about all of this different information coming in, constantly changing. Um, could you just expand a little bit on what are the factors, the specific factors that are going into the decision from you and everybody you're working with on this of when college basketball can resume, whether that's on time or with some sort of an altered schedule than we're used to?
1: Well, we're relying on on the NCA medical advisory panel that, um, has been engaged since late February, um, that helped uh, the NCA staff and committees, um, make very difficult decisions about the winter and spring championships. And they've been continuing to do their work. They're world-renowned kind of infectious disease and epidemiologists um, that um, are tracking on everything going on with the virus domestically and internationally. And um, they're advising NCA staff and committees and on on protocols. Um, They've been very focused in supporting the conferences and institutions on how we get back to fall uh, sports activities and championships but we're starting to transition into the winter obviously with basketball soon there to follow and um the medical guidance will 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 drive much of the decision making um but it will also go back at some level to to you know institutional and conference decision making as well um as it should because um there can be you know national guidelines and and, and um, medical advice that is provided, but, um, not all areas of our country are, uh, you know, in the same situation, uh, we see that state by state and, and institution by institution because of that. Um, so I, I think we'll know more, you know, in, in the summer and in, in July, I would say probably than we do right now, we're trying to take a very patient and measured approach to this because by the week we learn more and more about it. You know, based on what's going on in the sports industry um, with with uh, other uh, events and leagues and the decisions they're making and how they're proceeding, um, I think we learn more by the week and we'll know so much more in July to help make informed decisions that are responsible for college basketball.
0: Sure. And we had Andy Katz on with us recently and we started talking a little bit about the implications of travel and not just the big holiday tournaments, the Maui Invitational, Battle for Atlantis in the Bahamas. But even, you know, if John and I are broadcasting, we might be in South Orange, New Jersey at Seton Hall on a Friday and out at Creighton in Omaha on a Sunday. Um, So just how have those discussions been going when it comes to travel? And do you think that that could affect changes to scheduling?
1: Yeah, it certainly could, uh, especially, I think, in in non-conference play, and I think we're already seeing in fall sports um, a move towards more regionalized travel and flexibility in in that scheduling um, to allow for uh, more bus trips and and fewer plane trips in the lake. I think once you get into conference play in January and February in college basketball in particular, that gets more challenging because, as, as you just noted with one example, it's um we have leagues that are very widely distributed uh throughout our country and so uh, i think that the, the hope is that we'll you know we'll be able to um do that in a more safe way than than we may be able to right now um you know through airline and charter flights and um but but we're going to have to be nimble about it and and creative because if that is not the case then Um, you know, we're going to have to reimagine ways to get as much of the season in in a more uh, regionalized and localized way.
2: Dan, health and safety are, of course, going to be the foremost priority, but there are those real-world money concerns, especially regarding football, with that being the the sport that's starting closest now with those other fall sports and, and with the revenue that it has produced being at the top of the chain. Uh, what kind of discussions are being had about a loss of football revenue and its impact on non-revenue sports?
1: Well, of course, those are uh, conference decisions more than, than NCAA decisions. Um, You know, FBS football is really managed by, um, by those conferences. And so uh, working together collaboratively, I'm sure. And then with the CFP um, I think those are decisions that are being made at that level. Um, But, you know i don't think it's any different than than consideration for other sports and that is that as you mentioned health and safety has to be the, the primary priority and um an alteration to accommodate that is is first and foremost and that you know that may mean uh you know reduced uh, attendance for games it, it may mean you know very different protocols with media or what happens on the sidelines or you know, things like that to to get to as as safe a place as we can be you know I think one of the takeaways for me and in, in listening to our, our medical experts is that at some level we just have to um get some comfort level on a day to day basis let alone just college athletics with living with this virus because as we know it's not going away um it's likely that a vaccine is still you know a year plus away and so how do we um deal with that in a like a responsible and safe way without being paralyzed and just shutting everything down and so I think that the our re engagement this summer and gradually you know getting student athletes back to campus voluntary workouts initially smaller groups um and, you know and then phasing in more uh you know team practices leading up to the start of a Regular college football season um is all part of that, and again, I think we'll know a lot more the, the the longer we go here, but it's um it is tricky. there's no question about it and um but you know the overwhelming um you know feedback that we get from student athletes is they want to get back to campus they, they want to see their teammates, they want to play the sport they love, and how do we just help them do that in a responsible way?
2: let's turn to the transfer situation in college basketball and it seems to be a, a yearly phrase that transfers are now at an all-time high that, that I think I checked last three weeks ago there were close to 800 of them and obviously it's a fluid situation in this sport we know that the one-time, Blanket transfer rule, that that's something that's been put off uh, because of the COVID circumstances and whatnot. What's your mindset with this fluid situation?
1: Well, it's a very hot topic, as you mentioned, John, and it has been for some time. Um, I think that the membership made a good decision uh, given how unsettled everything is right now with COVID-19 not to move forward with um, a change to the transfer waiver guidelines that would have allowed for immediate eligibility um, in in basketball and football and and three other sports that don't have that right now. Um, Just because, you know, coaches and student athletes aren't even together, they're not in touch, And, and, and adding that into the mix of a really unsettled time would have been, uh, crazy, to say the least. I think, but that the attention now turns to the fall and winter when the membership will take this up in a legislative way, um, leading towards uh, probably a vote in January on whether to change the the year in residency requirement for uh, football, men's women's basketball, ice hockey, and baseball um, to allow for those five sports to have immediate eligibility as the rest of the sports do. And it seems like, you know, among administrators, at least, there's maybe some momentum to go in that direction. Certainly the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, the National SAC, um, has supported that as well. I will say, as you probably both know, that men's basketball coaches and, and football coaches, I think, can you know, would be in the same boat, are are very opposed to, to that idea. Um, I think they're just deeply concerned about, um the unintended consequences of of that immediate eligibility for for teams for other student athletes that don't transfer that are left behind um even for those that do transfer and maybe um not having the kind of success that they're looking for so uh, there's still a lot to be determined um i but i do think that there is momentum you know towards making the the rule consistent for for all athletes in all sports And I think if that were to come to pass, that the challenge for basketball is, what are the guardrails and guidelines around that? Uh, When's the notification date? What does that do to APR? Um, What do you do with tampering? Um, Do you allow for all men's basketball student athletes to transfer once, including graduate transfers? Um, Or do we keep that in place and essentially allow them to transfer twice? Um, There's been some talk among coaches about you know, not permitting a student athlete to exercise that one-time transfer exception until until they've already been a, uh, a sophomore or later. So, you know, not allow freshmen to transfer right away. And I think that makes some sense to me because every freshman goes through a tough transition and every freshman probably is somewhat disappointed about playing time or role or minutes and, and without, you know, having them test it out and, and, and see what may come of their experience at their initial school they're maybe making uninformed decisions about about transferring so a lot still to be you know determined i do think we are looking at somewhat of a different scenario probably for next season not this one but the 21-22 season
2: now dan you spent the last eight years as the ncaa senior vice president of basketball and it was reported in early may that you were the league candidate to become executive director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Uh, but uh, as we well know and, and glad to hear it, and I know it's, it's great news for the NCAA that uh, a statement put out, you are staying on in your role as a senior VP of basketball at the NCAA. So I, I, I want to ask you, what ended up being your, your thought process of staying on at the NCAA and continuing in your current role?
1: Well, it was very flattering to be considered uh, by the NABC um, to succeed Jim Haney, who's done a fantastic job as the executive director of the NABC. Uh, I've got so many uh, close friends and colleagues uh, on the NABC board and, and coaching in general. Um, I think, as you know, I was I was raised by a coach and, and did some coaching myself early in my career, so it's always been in my blood and um, I think it's a fantastic organization with a very bright future. So I was intrigued um, by the opportunity. Um, some coaching friends that I have did a good job of recruiting me, I guess. And uh, and and. Um, but at the same time, I love what I do at the NCA. I love my work uh, with the with March Madness, um, with our outstanding staff and the committees that I get a chance to support. And um, wasn't looking to leave, but um, was thought that it was an opportunity I needed to consider. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, I think I tried to base my decision on where I may have the most positive influence on the game. Um, While a close call, I think that maybe is slightly better at the NCAA than at the NABC. Um, But with that NABC partnership that I have already being so important and strong and will continue to, to foster. And then my, the association with the tournament and, and as I mentioned, the staff and the committee that I get a chance to work with, it's just so special to be part of March Madness and um, I, I treasure it. I value it. I, I don't take it for granted and, and to be able to do that. And the final thing is I think, you know, as you mentioned on, throughout this interview, we've got so many things going on in college basketball right now. And, and the NCA is right in the middle of all those things as it should be between name, image, and likeness. and, transfer issue and, um, you know, supporting our schools and conferences and most importantly, the student athletes that I felt like, um, you know, a responsibility to to try to help through this time period. And so fortunate to have the opportunity, uh, happy and relieved um, to have made the decision and looking forward to the future.
2: Well, the game of college basketball is better because Dan Gavitt is leading in. Dan, we want to thank you for taking the time to shed some light on all the different topics going on in the sport of college hoops as well as all of college sports stay safe stay healthy and thanks again
1: appreciate you guys coverage of the game it's outstanding and uh can't wait to all of us i know you and we can't wait to get back to to playing games and and and, uh experiencing what we love about the game so uh be well and safe uh youtube as well and, and really thanks for being with you
2: well from the transfer situation to the nba draft it'll be unique having an NBA draft in October. But credit to the NBA for making things work, for fighting through. It's just good to know we're going to have some basketball here in the the not-so-distant future. But thanks again to Dan Gavitt for spending some time with us, the NCAA Senior VP of Basketball, as another episode of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is in the books. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Ben Wolfen edits the show. We always appreciate his contributions. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows.
0: Absolutely, John. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt drops by with Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and eric newman and on mondays the mike wise show and of course john and i always back with you every tuesday with full court press with fanta and adams please check out all of our shows download them rate and review them but most of all enjoy them we will see you next week on full court press with fanta and adams full court press with fanta and adams is a presentation of pure hoops media